This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes out to Daniel Purcell, Sterling Netzlaw, Jason DeLuna, Charles Albaugh, and Michael Corum. Insert joke here. This one goes out to them. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rob. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, 15 seconds to air, and we've got nothing to say. Atomic Robo is in the card. Something is hypernatural. And we want to know, is Black Sad really sad? Because he is kind of gray. And the Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 421 of the Major yeah. Spoilers Podcast. Thank you for downloading and listening. Hooray! All of us with varying views and opinions. All of us right and all of us wrong. Mm. Nicely Most- done. Later in the Most- show, Black Sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a book that is terribly good and terribly bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a, a book that hits on all of those opinions. <laughs> Did anybody else hear Black Sad is voiced by Morgan Freeman? Yes. I <laughs> uh, wanted to give a quick shout out, quick uh, talk about Nerdtacular 2012. Uh, it was wonderful. Uh, thank you for everybody who came out to Nerdtacular 2012. It was so nice to meet all of you and to interact. I think that's one of the reasons why why we went this year uh, to meet some fans and to meet new fans and to uh, to do some things with. Uh, with new people that we've met along the way. Man, at Nerdtacular, there was a uh, competition between the podcasters. They separated them to two teams, and there was basically this giant trivia challenge, and Steven killed at it. Well, no. Our, our boy did us <laughs> proud. He was like a machi- like a pop culture machine gun. It was, it was the one-two punch mm-hmm. of uh, me mm-hmm. and Mark the Terpster. Turpin. Turpin. Uh, who just uh, got us out of the gate and got us rolling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, our team just, uh, sorry, Randy, but we de- we demolished you guys. <laughs> they really it, it did. Was, and I it didn't want to rub it in, but, I mean, we uh, I, at one point there was a rule that said, you know, if we got so far ahead, we'd just end the game. But, I mean, we just kept playing and playing and playing and playing, and yeah. we were like... Well, the audience was having like, a really good time with it, mm-hmm. so I can see why they didn't just stop. We were like 15 points ahead, and yeah. there were only 10 questions left. Right. And so it was it was a lot of fun. And, and I, that was put on by uh, Brian Ibbett, who did a wonderful job in putting that uh, that contest together. And Rodrigo and Rob actually did something that I thought was really cool. Uh, they put together a, uh, uh, a little one-shot D&D encounter. Yeah. And then um, uh, uh, Brian... D&D Brian, Rob, uh, Rodrigo, and Adriana sat down with three uh, major spoilerites, or just some new spoilerites, I guess. Bronco mm-hmm. Bronco being one of them that sat in. Bronco. Right. Oh, Bronco. Yeah. He just peeked in through the window and, and reached in his giant hand to roll the dice. We had to use Rob's giant die yeah. for him to uh, to grasp between his uh, little his big fingers. Uh, so I think they really got a kick out of that. Uh, I played a lot of a lot of uh, new games, including uh, Munchkin, which I know has been out for ten years, and I'm just now <laughs> playing it. But that was a lot of fun playing with and meeting with people. And of course, the whole Nertacular was great. Uh, there are some uh, there are some pictures over at Nertacular.com from the show. Um, we all went to see. Brave uh, on Sunday, mm-hmm. and we'll yeah. talk about that on the weekend show. 
Um, but I just want to thank Scott Johnson for putting on a, a fantastic show and uh, to Paul and Storm for putting together a fantastic mm-hmm. um, evening of, of entertainment. I never laughed so hard in all my life until I drove home with Rodrigo and we started giggling like little schoolgirls. That was that was mostly sleep deprivation. Yeah, well, that was probably that and uh, exhaust seeping into the yeah, camera. Yeah, there was some of that, I think. And then, of course, I really, 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 really want to thank Gary over at Rocket Baby Comics. God, Rocket, what a weird oh place. <laughs> place was amazing <laughs> rocket baby comics yeah buddy yeah buddy yeah buddy yeah buddy four day, day weekend. weekend oh my god that Ugh. guy was awesome um while i was there i picked up uh a couple of things i don't know matthew if you guys have had this in your store or not but uh gary mm-hmm. was uh had a, had had this sitting out and it is uh nate cosby and chris iliopolis's um cowboy a boy and his hurt horse have you guys had that one yet Sounds familiar. It, it looks really good. I haven't had a chance to open it up out of the plastic bag. The other thing he helped me track down was I love the lock and key issue of Guide to the Known Keys uh, by Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez. It's rather expensive, but he helped me track down the black and white um, inked variant cover. Now, was this like a, like a number zero issue this, type thing? This is or? a one shot that kind of expanded on the lock and key universe. When I reviewed it, I was just so in awe over the story about the trip to the moon and everything and how great it was. But uh, he had that variant cover there, and I want to thank him for that. So, really cool. Check them out. I think they um, their new store, mm-hmm. uh, somewhere on, I forget the exact address, but I know it's on Bangator Highway. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he said he was working on a website, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we just kind of stumbled upon them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We were on that way to Game Haven. Yeah. Where we had to go twice because... <laughs> ha- Matthew, have you ever played Munchkin? Oh, yeah. All the time. Oh, really? I played Munchkin this weekend. You guys, uh, I had a great time at Nerdtacular. You might not have recognized me because I was disguised as a as a small, dark-haired woman with glasses. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time I was there going, ha you don't know it's me. Oh, that explains. Oh, well, that, that. explains that. I yeah, did, I did think that I met this lady with a horribly <laughs> racist Italian accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Edna Mode is yeah. what I call myself. Yes, I have played. I've played. Uh, I played the greatest Munchkin game ever because I played a combination of Star Munchkin, Munchkin Fu, and Spy Munchkin. Mm-hmm. Where I was actually able to complete the dreaded Mazer, Phaser, Bobazer, Banana, Fana, Fofazer. Nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. In the actual round and then died horribly. Yeah, yeah. That's a fun game. I mean, I had not played it before. And then so yeah. on Friday, I think we had gone Thursday to Game Haven. Right. And then uh, Friday, we were killing some time while we were waiting for Rob's poor dead car to be resurrected. And we were like, well, let's play it. And I was like, okay, well, let's play. And I had so much fun that after we were done, I was like, guess where we're going next? Yep. We went back to Game Haven, and I bought a couple of sets, and I uh, can't wait to do something exciting with You that. let Rob drive? Well, Rob drove his own car because, I mean, uh, that was – everybody had to get their own transportation out there. Mm-hmm. But, um, Rob, you want to go into the story, or do you want to – is it best something you don't want to talk about? Oh, oh, I can go until we – I, I kind of want to smack my mom for this one. <laughs> I, we, get, we, we got it back to my hometown last night. And, yeah, last night. God, it was a long weekend. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, got it back to my hometown last night, and we stopped at the post office where my mom works to you know, tell her, hey, I got it back. Here's the keys. Mm-hmm. What do you guys want to do with it and whatnot? And, she's, and describe some of the problems to her that we had. 
And she's like, oh, yeah, this is the same stuff we had problems with last year when we were going through the mountains. Yeah, so basically when we got to uh, <laughs> when we got to Denver, yeah, we yeah. tried to start up the car and it wouldn't start. And then finally we gave it a lot of gas and it started up and it kept dying when we were going too slow. But then when Rob got it on the highway, it was fine. And mm-hmm. Rodrigo and I were just following along. No problem, no problem. And every time we'd stop, it would just die. When we got to Utah, we took it to the mechanic and he's like, well, one of your pistons, pistons. isn't firing, yeah. so you're going to have to get a whole new engine. And yeah. Rob was like, well, do you think you'll make it back home? And he's like, I don't think you're making it out of the mountains. And so uh, all weekend we were dreading the drive home, so we got up extra early on Monday and made it back with only one stall, two stalls. Well, and this is the thing. Driving 900 miles in a 1982 Reliant K with rusted floorboards was a bad plan, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. And the fact that, you know, it is a three-cylinder engine powered by gnomes is probably half your problem right there. Well, no, we had a couple stalls we... Yeah, it, it was a, uh, it was like like in it speed, was but but a lot less uh, exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like literally, if if Rob's van dropped below twenty miles an yeah. hour because they kept dying on like ramps, like yeah, on yeah. and off ramps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it dropped below twenty miles an hour, it would just seize. Yeah. Yeah. If we had to stop, uh, it was pop it in neutral and sit there and rev the engine and gun it, gun it, gun it. That yep, it doesn't that's what die. I said. So. That was fun. We can't wait till next year, Matthew, uh, when you can come out and join us. Remember what uh, Mormon Elvis says, plan ahead. Plan ahead. So everybody should plan ahead for Nerdtacular <laughs> 2013. And I haven't even figured out what I'm having for breakfast. Well, start no, seriously, Matthew. A lot of people asked where you were. Yeah, people and, are always uh, asking where you are. And we're we're tired of telling them that you're a master of disguise and you're that house plant over there. Yeah, yeah. I'm a ninja. Yeah. So So just start planning, saving, whatever you have to do now. He's so that you shy. can uh, make it out to Nerdtacular 2013, because I think it's going to be even bigger and better, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Due to illness, the part of Matthew will be played by three 18-year-old girls. And Oh, we also have to say Adriana came out, too. I think she, okay. had, a, she had a lot of fun. I uh, got to meet a lot of people, and uh, it, was, it was a good time. You know, we got to meet us. Yeah. Uh, and, and here, if, you, if you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, I have no idea what Critical Hit is to cover your ears, I, I guess. But yeah, total spoilers. Like I was talking to someone, and they're like, "Oh, and Rob and Matthew, blah blah,", blah. and I'm talking to them. It's like, "Oh, have you met Adriana?" And she's just kind of like, "Oh, hi." And I was like, "Yeah, she plays Trail." And she's like, "Oh, okay." And I'm like, "Oh my God, you're not that far yet, are you?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, spoilers. Uh, one one thing that w- um, you know, there were many things that almost made me cry at, at Nerdtacular oh, from man. sad stories. Yeah. Um, but the one that got to me is we had read a letter on Critical Hit from a Marine who was stationed over, or he was in the military, Mm -hmm. uh, stationed in Afghanistan and had written to us, and we read his letter on the air. And he came up to me and he just said, well, I'm back. I just wanted to say thank you and that your podcast means so much to me and so many other people that are over there. And he said it's a bitch to download such large files, but that uh, they really, really appreciate people putting out these kinds of shows so that people can have some diversion from what's going on. So... That was uh, that was really cool. So, there you go. Maybe we should hit up the uh, the army for sponsorship. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that would be pretty good. Aren't we all 4F? Let us get to some news. <laughs> so uh, we got Marvel teases This Is War. Uh, there's a new trailer for a movie called War of the Worlds Goliath, which is a <laughs> uh, cyberpunk telling of War of the Worlds in right around World War One era. Um, 
George Takai heads to Riverdale, and Sony is planning a Tonka truck movie. I believe it's Takai. That's probably right. So let's spin that Wheel of Destiny, and let's see where it lands. It lands on <laughs> Sony planning a Tonka truck movie. Now, uh, <laughs> it did? Are you sure? <laughs> yep, that's where it landed. You're sure? That's what the wheel told me. That's what I'm saying. What about this? And what about Mr. Andrew Jackson over here? What did he tell you? He said <laughs> Matthew needs to go uh, take a bath. <laughs> It'll be a real short show, folks. <laughs> uh, Tonka, how many of you guys play with Tonka trucks when you were a kid? Oh, I did I definitely. Yeah, yeah. I had I mean, the uh, Tonka crane. Oh, well, or whenever. So, Tonka trucks are like the really bubble-shaped ones, No, right? they're the ones that are made out of like, well, when I was a kid, when, when Matthew we were was a kid, kid, these are the ones that are made out of the giant metal yellow. Uh, solid you steel. You know, the orange-yellow like steel stuff. stuff. Yes. Stuff. Well, no, yeah, not diecast, but in the plated. They're show. big, and they're meant to be run through the mud and the dirt like, and all that stuff. You're supposed not. to try and destroy these things, and you can't. Yeah, yeah they're I, I really tough. I did not play with Tonka trucks as a kid. Okay. What about your your uh, nephews? Uh, well, I'm pretty sure that nowadays Tonka trucks are made of plastic, aren't they? Like, Probably. yeah, they're they're like hard hard shell plastic. They're like now. super. They're and they look kind of round because, like, obviously they can't have sharp corners right, for right, eye right. gouging anymore. Right. So I think they do have some Tonka stuff, but they're like way into smaller little cars, like Hot Wheels, and of course the cars from Cars, the toy cars from Cars. Uh, the president cars. of Sony Pictures Productions said Tonka has become more than a toy or a brand. Tonka trucks are a rite of passage for kids all around the world. Time spent with these toys create memories that last a lifetime as kids are inspired to play using the boundaries of their imagination. We look forward to creating a family-friendly motion picture that brings the Tonka experience to life. <laughs> but We look forward to creating a <laughs> story goes and a in, motion picture dirt and goes naming out. it so, Dirt Goes In, so do, Dirt Goes Out. Do, do Tonka trucks, uh, are they like kind of a, a deformed design? No, they're based like on the giant yeah, they, earth movers. Right. So the, the, the Tonka trucks are... Trucks. Just trucks. They're, and, and cranes and, and, and they, bulldozers. They're, 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 they're basically just... a, a faithful reproduction of normal vehicles. Pretty much, normal yes. Normal construction equipment. Yes. Okay. So they're going to make a movie about normal construction equipment is, is basically what they're saying and just slap the Tonka thing on there. Because I would, yes. I could see it if there was a Tonka design, like a Tonka feel to the toys. I think I think it would be really – it would be probably even more of an interesting movie if these Tonka trunks like – transformed into like a robot or something uh -huh. and fought and other they, robots. And they all came together yeah. and formed a giant robot. Yeah, that'd that probably make it more cool. interesting. But Tonka Trucks, in my opinion, one of the most boring toys out there. Uh, to make a movie, certainly there's nothing obvious to, to generate conflict with Tonka other than potentially hippies who don't want you to tear a, uh, a rec center down. Now there you go. Pretty much. Hey, I think we've that, got our Justice League movie again. Yeah, there you go. They're going to show it from the other movie. side, breaking from the other side. Yeah. There you go. Those rotten kids are keeping us from doing our job. Let's take them out. Tonka. Tonka. The problem that you run into is, um, well, I'm, I'm going to say the two words, effing battleship, where there's just that title and a story and everything that they've created from whole cloth, but they're still considering it to be an adaptation of that title or that property. I mean, I don't think that you can make a movie about Tonka trucks 
unless the movie is like Team Knight Rider. Well, here's where each truck has a voice box. Here's and the thing. Like, no it's going to be an animated movie. So right away we're looking at pushing into Cars territory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's being produced by, in addition to Sony Pictures, Happy Madison Productions. Wow. It's an Adam Sandler Tonka an Adam truck Sandler, movie? Adam Sandler, or whatever Adam Sandler's like, me, 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 They're all going to laugh at you. Yeah. I'm the strongest truck now. I'm the strongest truck. Rob, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, the same thing I had when they announced the Battleship movie. Just what? How? Like, there's no. Well, if it puts it in perspective, Sony is also developing movies based on risk. Which could be kind of cool, because that that's sense. a spy risk, thriller. Like, risk absolutely makes sense. And Candyland. Red versus Blue. Candyland also Candyland makes also, sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because it has those a story games have stories to. behind them. I mean, Uncle Wiggly's, Uncle Wiggly's uh, uh, Briar Patch would be something. It's got a story to it. Tonka, making a movie based on Tonka trucks is like making a movie based on collector plates. Oh, yes, so people awesome. love collector an plates, and, and, and I inherited a big bunch of collector's plates from my mother, and they're hanging in my living room now, but I don't think they're going to make a compelling narrative in and of themselves. You're going to have to create something out of whole cloth, like come up with an entire you know, naval unit led by Liam Neeson with magical transforming ships, or, wow, I'm really hooked on this battleship thing. Also, <laughs> also you watched Rihanna, it, Matthew? Rihanna's in it. Yeah, Rihanna's. Battleship? Yeah. Uh, let me put it to you this way. You know how I joke that I've seen the trailer and that's enough? Mm-hmm. This time it's not a joke. Yeah. I've seen the trailer and I've seen the thing that aired before Brave with the uh, the <laughs> Lego Battleship movie, which I think is probably the superior Battleship movie. And so I'm just going to go, yeah, I'm good with that. All right. Um, all right. So final thought. Good idea. By, bad idea, Rob has the possibility of being a good movie, but probably a bad idea. It's so open-ended that it could potentially be a good movie, just like it could potentially be a bad movie. Like, seriously, yeah. this is this is like saying... It's literally like saying, we are making a movie, there will be plants in it. Like, right. That, it's not a good idea it's, or it's a bad so idea. It's, yeah. it's not an idea. It's a notion yeah. at best. If yeah, Matthew, good idea, bad idea? Non-idea. Non-idea? Okay. Yes. I, uh, I'm i going to say, seeing how it has kind of that Cars vibe to it, and maybe a little bit of Brave Little Toaster thrown in. Um, <laughs> yeah, this movie's going to be called The Brave but, Giant Toaster. But then it's got Adam Sandler, and I can't help but think of, uh, what was it, <laughs> eight, eight, uh, eight Crazy Nights. Eight Crazy Nights. <laughs> then, that movie was funny. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's I guess, my guess there. Listeners, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. You can share your thoughts on the Tonka Truck movie, uh, good or bad or yeah. otherwise. I recommend not putting too much thought into it because, really, you only have so many brain cells. And I'm going to destroy half of them with fake Italian voices all night. I'm sure you will. All right, listeners, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. Oh, hey, some other things you might want to look forward to over at the uh, uh, 
major major spoilers, spoilers uh, major spoilers website to check out Critical Hit. Uh, Rodrigo wrote a very interesting gamers corner a couple of weeks ago about player character motivations, how to mm-hmm. get them motivated into playing the game that you're trying to create, as opposed to just sitting back and drinking tea on the porch of the tavern. That's right. Um, <laughs> our San Diego Comic Con coverage is still going strong, and you can check that out as well as we move into man. Comic-Con is like less than two weeks away now, I think. Twelve? Uh-huh. So like, yeah, two weeks away. Scary times. Like you can you can start seeing the shadows creep across everything, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right as, right as con And people are, starts. you know, San Diego residents are running. Ah, it's yeah. coming! San Diego Comic-Con, run! Duh. When we come back, reviews. Duh. How to get a major spoiler shout-out. If you want to get a personalized shout-out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the Make a Donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major Spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Thank you, everyone, who has donated to the cause. It really helps us out. I know a lot of people are like, oh, I'm just contributing to Stephen's pile of gold. It doesn't go to me. It goes to the site. Right. It goes to everybody who, uh, well, actually, it doesn't and go to the site. We, it goes to everybody else. We have else. long days here at Major Spoilers where we sit in our dungeon and we, we type and we type and we type and we blow kisses to Stephen's five gold Rolled Royces because <laughs> yeah. that's that's not how even, Major Spoilers that, That's not even the case. That said, uh Stevens, uh, demon possessed Rolls Royces do a lot of the heavy lifting around here. True, yes, very true. <laughs> we have got a lot of reviews over at the Majorspoilers.com website. We Heck also yeah, got some we reviews do. right here for you. And why don't we start off this week with uh, a one-two punch of Avengers action? Uh, with uh, let's start with the new Avengers number twenty-seven from Brian Michael Bendis and Mike Diodato. Uh, Rob, you picked that up and, and you read it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With your eyes. <laughs> That's it's actually kind of funny. Uh, on the way over here, Rodrigo and I were discussing. Rodrigo had to give me a ride because I lost my van. Yeah, as we just you did? Discussed. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, that, <laughs> was, we were discussing that was how... all foreshadowing for <laughs> this story. Yes, there you go. <laughs> it's an important literary technique and you're clued to quality literature. Exactly. Now, but... Uh, on the way over here, I was discussing how I was having troubles just picking anything to review today. Like, just nothing struck out as... Not that it was... But I sent you hundreds of thousands of review titles. I, I wouldn't go that far, but even... <laughs> I, I looked through a couple of those, or a few of the emails that you sent with all those, and just nothing was really grabbing my attention today. So it's just kind of funny that you... Uh, you know, he said, you read that. It's like, yeah, it's, it's about the extent of what I mean. I enjoyed it. Uh, I'll go ahead and actually get into it. It starts out with uh, finishing off this story from the previous issue of an Iron Fist, a, a female Iron Fist from uh-huh. way back when, uh, years and years ago, right. according to the book itself, uh, as she is going to become the host of the Phoenix Force. And, of course, it's this red-haired, green-eyed chick, because that's apparently what the Phoenix decides it wants to utilize is... Well, some guys some, some guys have a type. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and the, it was cool to pick or to find this story, because the Iron Fist 
stories from back when, like the the Seven Cities and all that, are fantastic. And this follows the same style of giving us a an old Iron Fist or building on the old Iron Fist stories and whatnot. Uh, but she goes on to becoming the host uh, and kind of taming the Phoenix. Uh, we get this cool Phoenix slash Iron Fist costume where it kind of melds the two symbols of the Iron Fist and the Phoenix and it melds the two, how the two costumes traditionally look and it's actually, uh, I, I really like the design of the costume. Uh, but it is, essentially she says she's not sure if she's in control and she leaves. That's the end of story and that lead up, this issue or two and a half issue lead up was Danny telling the story of the uh, Phoenix Iron Fist to Hope mm-hmm. as he's going to help train her at the city of Kunlun, uh, which is apparently f- this is after AVX round six, which we were never told. And I unfortunately read this first and was confused until the end of that. Uh, the rest of it is, Oh, Master UT uh, trying to figure out how Hope is going to be trained to do anything. And he ends up discovering that the spider is supposed to teach her, which turns out to be Spider-Man. Mm. And Spider-Man actually gets this this perfect moment of, like, almost everything else about Spider-Man in this issue is kind of meh. With Ben, it's, it's like he's... Uh, he, he's questioning the fact that he's teaching her because she's already been trained by Cyclops and Wolverine and Cable. Uh, and The fact that he's questioning his own teaching after we got... Uh, after he's been a teacher for so long in the comics right, a lot. Right. It, it just... It felt like a very bad Spider-Man moment, but... And then Hope, of course, questions the ability of him to teach her but he goes ahead and gives her the whole great power and great responsibility speech, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which brings her around. And it, it's nice the way he does it and the the entire moment from him starting that speech to her accepting him as a teacher is just done perfectly between the two characters. Cool. Uh, it's, and it's, it's Spider-Man actually being the, the teacher he, is that he's been shown he can be right uh and using that same uh logic that he's always used from his uncle that same advice that has gotten him nearly killed every week yeah nearly killed every week but also you know it it's made him who he is and him giving her that story makes her say yes i'll i'll train under you uh, and it was just a, it was a perfect moment at the very end of the book that really saved the issue for me because the first part was all right. I mean, I, I was like I said the uh, the Phoenix Iron Fist costume looks great. The uh, story is <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny that the the Phoenix Iron Fist costume looks so good because now that I think of it, the Phoenix costume and the Iron Fist costume are pretty much the same costume. They they kind of are very similar. Yeah, they're they're very they are very similar, but they they combined they 
you get just enough of the differing elements of each that it and it works. Iron Fist didn't have hooker boots. He didn't, and uh, it's like uh, Iron Fist gets a ribbon kind type belt instead of a sash. Yeah, but they're very the sashes are very similar, and the his collar and that that split collar to show off his phoenix or his dragon tattoo is very similar to Jean Grey's. Well, her dark phoenix phoenix mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is yeah i wonder who designed the original iron fist costume was it cockrum i don't know i wonder if those are both cockrum designs and that's why they're so similar yeah i think it was gil kane now that i think of it uh, you'd know better than i would but... why thank you <laughs> what i'm saying here is you're old <laughs> yeah, what I'm saying here is <laughs> you. Nice. I'll give you half Be credit nice. for the cheap shot. <laughs> Gil Kane did in fact create Iron Fist, but it created him about three months before or four months before Phoenix. So hmm. interesting. But like, like I said, the uh, the story of the old Iron Fist is interesting. I mean, it's got uh, it has Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, has actually come to the uh, mystic city of Kunlun and helping that master UT to train the new <laughs> Iron Fist to become the Iron Fist Phoenix thing. And it it, it was an interesting story. Uh, it didn't... I don't think it's going to hold a lot of weight for everything other than... Yeah, actually, actually, I really don't think it's going to hold a lot of weight for everything, other than it was something for Danny and Hope to bond over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Uh, as as good an idea as it is to combine their backstories, it's a it, to me it seems like it it almost diminishes both characters. Mm-hmm. Like, and I could see, and, and it, it the big thing is it makes sense for an Iron Fist to have become. The Phoenix, or the Phoenix at one point, like the way the Mystic Cities and Master UT and everything had kind of manipulated events on Earth in the past, and this from all the the Iron Fist, recent Iron Fist backstory development stuff, uh, it makes sense that they would have trained an Iron Fist to try and take the Phoenix Force, and so it just it works that way. But then when we jump to the present and it's just, okay, that was a story. Yeah, it's just Bendis talk. Yeah. Uh, it just seems like it was it was interesting but unnecessary for what's going on. I don't know, like it was filler for the New Avengers title until they got to the point where Hope was going to be in Kunlun being trained by Spider-Man. Mm. Unfortunately, I find that uh, a lot of the stuff where uh, Iron Fist guest stars in other people's comics is that way. Interesting, but unnecessary. Yeah. Iron Fist isn't a guest star in New Avengers. He's one of the main members of the team. Oh, this isn't an X-Men right. comic? Right. No, this is New Avengers. Uh, why have I been paying attention to this? Because <laughs> <laughs> you heard Phoenix. <laughs> I did. And you were wah, like, I want to go to Arizona. But yeah, I mean, overall, it works. What they have in, in Arizona, they have those Mexi fries. <laughs> Be nice. I'm pretty sure it's a northern thing. Yeah. A way northern thing. 
but the book looks nice. Overall, like I said, I was really impressed by the uh, the costume design. Everything else is good. I, I'm not terribly impressed, but there was nothing that bothered me either. Uh, at least visually, like I said that I didn't like how Peter was so so down on himself right away, especially after reading Spider Man last week, and you know Bendis did a really good job of Peter, and then there was a really bad Peter here. But oh well. I'd say it's a three slices of meatloaf overall. Mm-hmm. Three mm-hmm. slices of meatloaf for Rob for the new Avengers number 27. Swing it over to Matthew with the different Avengers, the shh, secret, secret Avengers. Avengers. Not only are they a secret, they're led by Thor. So not so much of a secret anymore. Um, Rob referred to the strange time placement of his Avengers tie-in. My Avengers tie-in is even stranger. About 10 or 12 days ago on Majorspoilers.com, I reviewed Avengers, no adjective, number 27, which came out the same week as AVX number 6, but took place before the events of AVX number 2. Secret Avengers number 28 takes place before the events of Avengers number 27 and comes out a week after the book that comes out four issues after the issue before which the previous issue took place. If you understood that, you're a Legion of Superheroes fan and you can be my friend. Secret Avengers number 28 is the story of the space contingent of the Avengers. Thor, War Machine, Ms. Marvel, The Vision, Captain Britain, The Protector, The Beast, Ms. Marvel, and The Valkyrie for some reason. And it deals with something that I thought would be a big plot point in uh, the entire AVX war, the resurrection of Captain Marvel. Apparently, four and a half issues ago, while the Secret Avengers were trying to keep the Phoenix Force to getting to lunch, to lunch, to Earth, rather, <laughs> I should probably... <laughs> Matthew's hungry. <laughs> I do. We keep talking about Mexi fries, and I remember my days in Saskatchewan, eating those. <laughs> anyway, uh, neither here nor there. The secret Avengers have been caught by Ronan the Accuser, who is now Ronan the Executioner, who's going to chop off their heads. And in a previous issue, somewhere along the line, and I think it was an issue of Avengers... The Protector turned on their team. The Protector, of course, is Novar of the Kree, the, pre- the former Marvel boy who was almost Captain Marvel himself. Um, but somehow that either hasn't happened yet or happened and they've forgiven him. And there's some fighty-fighty. And in the middle of this story, they're like, oh, and by the way, the Phoenix Force brought Captain Marvel back from the dead. And my brain went, What? Because I read the previous issue of this book, and I swear to you, I don't remember Captain Marvel coming back from the dead. And, of course, we meet Captain Marvel's family, his last remaining uh, uh, relatives on Hela, the home planet of the Kree, are actually blue-skinned Marvels. Uh, the blue and the pink-skinned uh, Marvels. I'm not exactly sure how that all works out. From an art perspective, this is a really interesting issue. It's really weird and it's really dark and, you know, kind of sketchy, but in a good way. Uh, Renato Guedes, I believe is the name of the, the, uh, artist does a really good Captain Marvel, puts some real emphasis into these scenes of will they execute Captain Britain? No, of course not, but it's good to put some bits into it. 
And during this whole fight, the Phoenix, four issues of AVX ago, they're trying to keep it from getting to Earth. And, of course, we know from AVX number six, which I reviewed a couple of days ago for the website, it doesn't work. So the question is, how does it doesn't work? And the answer is pretty incoherently. (laughs) They do Suicide Round Robin, where Ms. Marvel is the first to go and nearly die fighting the Phoenix. And then Thor takes her place. And I'm like, wait, 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 what are you doing? And then Captain Britain takes Thor's place. And I'm like, guys... Every time a hero goes up, it's like, yes, I am about to die horribly and and I will sacrifice myself heroically like Barry Allen so that I may come back from the dead 25 years from now. And throughout the whole issue, I'm just sitting here and going, why don't you just send Marvel? Marvel is destined to die. He's been resurrected a, at least 10 times in the last 10 years. Marvel needs to be the one to go and do the suicide mission. I mean, come on. It's obvious from the beginning of the story that that's what we're building up to. And when it happens, it's incredibly predictable, but kind of nice because Marvel fights the Phoenix and he's in space. And Marvel's last words are, I did not miss life. And then he, you know, crashes down to the planet and he's dead. And this issue ends with a moment for Carol, Ms. Marvel, to think about whether the. I think we lost Matthew. Yep, we lost Matthew. The person whom you're trying to reach is currently unavailable. Please. Are you back? I don't know. Am I? Sounds like you are. Okay. I'm not sure what happened. Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah that was way more sudden than usual. Usually mm-hmm. we get some... Before anything Just happens. frimps. What's the last thing you heard? Something, something, something then you dropped Ms. off. Marvel. <laughs> yeah, something about Miss Marvel. Oh, yeah. no. It was about... Really the last... Like, I think the last complete thing was... How... Uh, Mar- like Marvel's last words... Where I missed life, or I didn't miss life. Yeah, right. there you go. And, that was the... and then you you went into a another one, another thing nice. uh, about kind of the, the the how they were setting up to it. But I don't think we got to quite finish that one. Yep. Okay. Cool. We good? Yep. I. 
But the issue ends with uh, Ms. Marvel, uh, Carol Danvers, thinking about how maybe the legacy of Captain Marvel should continue, he said, looking at the solicitations two months from now. All in all, this is a really well-drawn, relatively incoherent issue of Avengers. And the biggest problem with it for me is the fact that it ties up a plot point that is now almost four issues out of date. No matter how wonderful this story is, the placement of it is problematic in terms of monthly issues. And I really think that the thought process was, oh, it'll read fine in the trade. And so we're going to put this together. So for me, uh, that was that was really an issue. And it kind of downgraded it. It's a, two slices of meatloaf. Because it's a story that takes place before the story that takes place long before the story that I just read. And when I'm dealing with monthly comics, and I do still read my comics monthly, it makes for an issue for me to have to think, wait, what was going on four issues ago? And where did the, where does this all fall? And where are these characters? Or how how is the Phoenix here when it's actually now in five different X-Men? Just really problematic issue not necessarily a bad one but you know like rob said it felt very unnecessary and it felt like there was a lot of filler element to it are there no editor's notes that tell you when these take place the editor's note says this takes place before avengers 27 okay that is all the context we have interesting interesting and avengers 27 had an editor's note that said this place takes place before av avengers versus x-men number three Interesting. All right, listeners, there you go. Uh, Secret Avengers and New Avengers. Secret. Those are both out last week. Let's take a look at comics coming out this week. Uh, how about, uh, oh, of course, I've got to do this one. Atomic Robo, the Flying She-Devils of the Pacific, number one, from Red <laughs> 5 Comics, from Brian Greatest Clevenger. title ever. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it's really cool, too, because uh, you, you, you're, you may be wondering, well, how does that tie into anything? Um, Brian Clevenger and Scott Wegner have uh, told another fantastic tale. This was actually a story that was supposed to be, uh, I think, volume two, mm-hmm. the one that uh, the Dogs of War, and this was supposed yeah. to come uh, either right after it or, or right before it. And um, this one takes place after World War II. Atomic Robo is um, doing a, a test flight uh, over the Pacific in an experimental plane while all, when all of a sudden a Foo Fighter mm-hmm. appears in front of him, a big robot flying ship, and starts attacking him, and he's like, Applesauce, horse feathers. I told these guys, put guns on the experimental prototype. And then all of a sudden, these rocket pack wearing people come flying at these Foo Fighters and and start fighting them and trying to explode them and blow them up. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, eventually Robo's uh, plane is uh, destroyed. He has to make a crash landing on this island. And then when the uh, jetpack people land, he discovers much to his surprise, which I find very fascinating that these are all women that have done this. And he's like, but you ladies, jetpacks. And he just can't make the connection that here are women with jetpacks flying around the Pacific, hasn't seen it before. And then, of course, a giant ship comes down, takes him off to a secret island, and Robo, in his, I don't know, uh, just totally confusement, uh, is surprised that here's a whole island, an uncharted secret island, populated by ex-military soldiers, women soldiers, who at the end of the war were told to go back home and go back to their lives, and they were basically like, no, we're not going to do that. And so they banded together, and they've created uh, the Flying She-Devils, 
and they're going around the Pacific getting back all of the leftover military bombs, nice. planes, parts that were just apparently were literally left mm-hmm. all across the Pacific uh, when the Japanese and, and U.S. forces stopped fighting. And their justification is, yes, we may be raiding these other places and stealing th- this stuff, but we're using it to create this technology. And Robo's like, well, doesn't that make you just as bad as the other people? And she's like, well, uh, the leader, the captain is like, well, we are keeping it out of the hands of would-be warlords. And that's our justification for keeping to do this. And um, they're going to take him back. You know, They're going to drop him off somewhere where he can um, uh, be rescued and picked up by the right uh, people. Um, but they don't want to be found out because they told the military to, to screw off. They're all AWOL. And so they're literally criminals. And so they really don't have a home to go to except for uh, this mysterious island in the Pacific. Well, we do find out where where the Foo Fighters come from, Japan. So here are these uh, Japanese soldiers, all male, mm-hmm. who have been working tirelessly to build these advanced technology weapons that can um, outdo anything the atomic U.S. can do. And they've been plagued by the flying she-devils of the Pacific, uh, except in this last battle, the leader had one of them secretly follow the airship back to the base. Mm-hmm. So this issue ends with the cliffhanger of the Japanese know where their enemies are, and it's going to be an all-on-all-out battle, I'm guessing, in the next issue, if not not before. So um, interesting story. It's an interesting hook. I was really surprised at how... Um, surprised Robo is that here are these women in position of power, women mm-hmm. in position of being fighters. Um, the lead engineer woman who's building all these fantastic jetpacks and airships, you know, he's just like, but you're a woman, you know, and it's just really kind of this eye-opening experience for both Robo and the reader that, you know, he doesn't realize that women can do all these amazing things. And in World War II, there were women doing all of these amazing things mm-hmm. that were just kind of brushed under the carpet, just like for the longest time, the Tuskegee Airmen were brushed under the carpet right, and not right. recognized for uh, their work. Yeah, and I mean, Robo being out in the front lines for pretty much the entirety of world, or behind enemy lines. Right. But again, it sh- I, I'm surprised at his reaction because he did meet with the Sparrow and have an adventure with the Sparrow. So mm-hmm. he should know that women were doing a lot of incredible things during World War II, and it just he's taken completely by surprise by it. Um, it's a very good story. Uh, the artist uh, by Scott Wegner is still, you know, my favorite kind of art that's out there. Um, it's a different kind of story. It doesn't have all the humorous laugh, knee-slapping moments that you would expect, uh, but it's still a very solid story. I like it a lot. I think you guys should go out and pick it up this week. I'm giving it four slices of meatloaf out of five. And that brings us to Rodrigo. Hey. With the Hypernaturals from Boom Studios. The Hypernaturals, number one. Which is a comic book about superheroes in the future. Really? Mm -hmm. Hey, wait a minute. Now, there have been only a handful of books that talk about superheroes in the future. At least certainly compared to uh, books that talk about superheroes in the present. And I've often thought, why aren't there more books like this? I mean, I I think... Partially, it's because, you know, Legion of Superheroes, obviously, being the, the, the progenitor of actually a lot of superhero stuff, but the, definitely the, the superheroes in the future right. as, as, a, as, as, a, as a thing. Um, 
has has always been around and i think people have always been shied away from it because of that because it's like if you put superheroes in the future now you're doing legion Mm -hmm. um but i think it's viable just like you know for the longest time if you had superheroes out in space you were doing green lantern but eventually that kind of became its own thing and now you know both dc and marvel have ongoing series most of the time, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, about superheroes out in space. So, um, yeah, space heroes in the future is what uh, Hypernaturals goes into. There are some similarities uh, with Legion, but, again, Legion has been going on forever and has had a ton of characters. And really, the the closest similarity is um, a... a, uh, a good relationship with the um the government and uh you know which isn't present in every iteration of of the legion but isn't in, in most of them i think it is and uh kind of a brainiac 5e style character mm-hmm. which you know if you're in the future you got to have that super smart uh techie guy uh other than that i mean it's its own it, it seems to be its its own thing the book starts with a flashback of the uh, Hypernaturals, which is the name of the team, getting uh, being involved in this huge conflict with this villain who has gained the ability to rewrite reality. Yeah. In certain ways, I'm gonna guess because if it was just complete omnipotence, there's not much of a reason to fight him at all. But uh, we don't see the resolution of that. We just cut to the present and. One of the characters is now not in the Hypernaturals anymore. Uh, the one other char- or uh, another character is now their PR person, and then a third character just kind of consults with them. And the the issue kind of picks up as the current team uh, disappears. So yeah, um, it sets you up for uh, basically two veterans and two completely green cadets are now gonna go out there and try to find what happened to the current iteration of the team um it's pretty interesting it looks it's very superhero-y i mean right down to the point where and you know it it stops just shy of people turning around and addressing each other by their awesome superhero code names every time they talk to each other yeah but it goes to the next step below that which is having little text boxes that tell you what somebody's uh, name and powers are. Mm. Um, and they, they kind of get a, a, away with it because uh, everybody has a connection to like this to, to the information superhighway of, of the time. So when you see the little box, it's got the little icon that everybody has floating around their head that gives you that information. So you right. know they, they, play, they, they play it with it uh, in-universe, which is pretty cool. Um. That said, though, I'm not terribly interested in it. Uh, you know, I'm like, all right, you know, space super future heroes as a genre thing. And then I'm flipping through it and I'm like, well, this is actually not that interesting. Maybe, uh, you know, I, I think that there is a, something viable here. But uh, this comic, I'm not I'm not too crazy about. I'll, I'll still I'm still curious to, to pick up the next uh, the next issue. And it's not, you know, the art is good. You know, all the characters are recognizable. The character designs are interesting. Again, very superhero-y. But, you know, they've got... Each character has their own thing going. And it's, you know... From from one panel to the other, you can recognize who's who and, and what's going on. So, I'm going to give this one two and a half slices of meatloaf. I mean, it's... Yeah, fair enough. It's, it's decent. It's a good read. Again, I'm not too interested in it. But, 
I, I I would be willing to pick up the next issue and see if it gets any better. Okay, that's a fair enough uh, fair enough answer. So there you go, listeners. Four reviews from four reviewers. Uh, we'd like to know what your thoughts are. You can head over to Majorspoilers.com. Use the comments section. Share your thoughts there, or you can even go over to Major Spoilers, uh, the forums, and uh, start a discussion over any book that you're reading, or maybe join in on a discussion. There are plenty uh, of them going on over in the Major Spoilers forums. All right, now we are done with the reviews. That means it's now time to get to that all-important part of the show, the part where we ask people to answer questions, and we get to the Major Spoilers poll. It's time! <laughs> One of these days, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to let you vamp for like an hour, hour and a half. <laughs> you would. I'm just going to see how long it would take for Steven to get to the point where he's like, fine, it's time. The major spoilers poll of the week, go. Woo! All right. So this week, it's we are time. basically two weeks away from the San Diego Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. So quickly approaching. Usually it's like, I always thought it was like, Third week in Dece- in uh, June, and maybe it is. I mean, it's the twelfth through the fifteenth. Maybe that, that is the second week in in July. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it's coming up faster than I thought. Maybe it's just because I'm old, well, and, th- and time seems to be going faster. We've been busy. We have been very busy, and, and we're trying to do. You. We're trying to do a lot of other busy things. But as the uh, as we ask every year about drunk. this time, just before the San Diego Comic Con, we want to know from our fans who's going to go to the San Diego Comic Con this year. And who isn't? Uh, I am going to make a pretty safe bet that none of us are going to the San Diego Comic-Con, correct? <laughs> Look at that funny kitten. <laughs> um, no, I am not going to the San Diego Comic-Con. And, and why not, Rob and, and Rodrigo? Um, I don't have a car. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good My van that. blew up on the highway. You think it sucked in the, in the city? You should check it in the desert. No, uh, part of it's money, part of it's the timing, because, I mean, we just got back from Nerdtacular, and Brian and I still want to go to Gen Con in August. Right. Uh, that would just be a, a, a so much to actually try and get put together for that time frame. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just kind of this stack of uh, little things that say, no, Gen er, uh, Comic-Con, not this year, maybe some time in the future okay what about you rodrigo just no simply no interest oh not at all i mean that seems like the worst thing ever to be at we've got to get you to a we've got to get you to a comic book convention like like there's going to be a lot of people there and like people are going to be walking around and moving and stuff and like there's going to be lots of them (laughs) so i'm not i don't want to go there just because you don't like crowds yeah i'm not a big fan of crowds i think that Honestly, personally, I am like a fanboy for almost nothing. I mean, there's very few properties that I'm so interested in that I would want to like take some time to talk to the creators. Mm-hmm. Um, what would it take to get you to go to San Diego Comic Con? I, th- I think if I would honestly, what it would take to get me to the San Diego Comic Con is if I was working it. Like if. Oh. If you gave me a camera or a microphone and a camera guy, yeah. and you said, Rodrigo, here are your passes, go to the San Diego Comic-Con, then I'd go, because then I'd have a camera to hide behind. Right, right, right. Uh, one, and two, I could beat it out of there once I had everything I needed. Sure, sure, sure. But no interest otherwise. Uh, not really. I'm just can we, not a Can we coax you to, like, a Planet Comic-Con or a Denver Comic-Con? I think so. I think a smaller event wouldn't, be, wouldn't make me as uh, skittish. I... 
I wouldn't keep like looking up with my ears perked to see if uh to looking for predators and things like that <laughs> while I was there. People dressed as predators. Yes, people, especially people dressed as predators. <laughs> Matthew, what about you? I think it was Jean-Paul Sartre who said, uh, hell is other people. It was Sartre, I believe. Can I have some amphetamines? But for me, there there are three big issues that keep me from really wanting to go to Comic-Con. One, it's in San Diego. San Diego's if, nice. It's, it's, it's I didn't hot. say that San Diego wasn't nice. San Diego is 16,000 miles away or some shit. Sure. Um, which means I would have to travel there, which means I would have to either have a vehicle that would take me there or coax a 20-year-old Chrysler across the entire desert or pay Southwest for, you know, somewhere between two and three seats. And then, of course, I'd have to bring my family. But that's, I mean, that's my big issue is it's way, 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 it's over there. I mean, it might as well be on another planet. Secondly, um, there's an awful lot of people at Comic-Con, and I am one of those folks who I, I'm good with going to places like that. So long as there's a place for me to sit down and take a moment and not be kicked or run into, I can't go to the local village inn for being run into by stupid people. So I think at Comic-Con, I would probably quickly turn homicidal. And third and most importantly, like all good geeks, I hate all other geeks. <laughs> and so being, you know, being surrounded by a room full of people who talk like me is probably what's going to happen to me after I die and pass on to whatever afterlife there may or may not be. Peterson? That's, uh, Peterson? Peterson? Peterson, 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 yeah, hell, hell is other people who talk like me. (laughs) But more importantly, I think that at San Diego Comic-Con, I wouldn't have any fun because there would always be some ass clown telling me, you stole that from George Carlin. (laughs) (laughs) And that bothers you? Yes, it does bother me. Well, for one thing, I don't sit there. And, you know, ask them, you know, it's not like I go to their mom's job and stand at the end of the bed and give her feedback, you know. All right. What would what would get you to go? Um, I would go and run Rodrigo's camera. There you go. <laughs> Rodrigo I mean, and I you have no go. you have no you have no interest in going. It's not that I have no interest in going. I think uh, Rodrigo's point is valid. If I was going for a specific purpose, i.e., you know, business-related reporting, this is what we're going to do live from San Diego Comic-Con. It's major spoilers. Hi, I'm Matthew. Hi, I'm Rodrigo. We're here at the spoiler. That would be awesome. If I were going, you know, to be in the major spoilers booth at Comic-Con, I would love to go. But I think that wandering, you know, the Comic-Con floor and going to panels and, you know, looking through back issue bins and finding nothing but a withered copy of Adventure into Fear number 19 probably wouldn't necessarily do me a lot of good. I work in a comic shop, so most of what I would go to a comic convention for, I get at work. I mean, I had a, I had a copy of Brave and the Bold number 28 in my hands this week, and I went, ooh, this sure is awesome. Can't afford that. So, yes, Rodrigo and I will be happy to go and cover. Uh, we'll be expecting the travel voucher soon. Well, certainly not with that attitude. <laughs> I hate all you nerds. But yeah, that's really kind of bad. That's a, you, know I mean, what, I'll, you know what? I'll be like Guy Fieri. I'll what, get a what's shirt really with fun, What's really fun about going to Comic-Con, any Comic-Con really, is this chance to interact and hear some things directly from the horse's mouth. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just passed, but uh, I remember... Um, 
sitting in the hallway, just waiting for another panel to begin. My wife and I were just sitting there and who should just come walking by us? Ray Bradbury. I mean, just walking right by and it's like, holy crap, that's Ray Bradbury. <laughs> you know, or, um, hey, hey, wife. Something wicked this way comes. <laughs> I mean, it the was one really... time I saw Ray Bradbury. It actually turned out to be Isaac Asimov. It, it was it was really cool to just see him walk by, or to like, and I've told this story before. We're walking out of the uh, Superman uh, panel, uh, the Hall H thing, and my wife's walking next to me, and the, you know it's packed, and yes, there are a lot of people, and and the crowds can be. Uh, inundating at times, and there sometimes there's something nice about being able to be just lost in the crowd sure. and just being swept up by everything. But my wife nudges me and goes, "Isn't that Jim Lee?" And I was like, "Where?" And sure enough, right standing right next to me is Jim Lee. We're walking out one night, bump into literally bump into Gene Simmons. Um, uh, you know, and it's it's just that kind of. And I know some people are like, "Well, that's not a big deal," but you know, uh, when you get to sit down and have even if it's five minutes to talk with. Marv Wolfman or to talk to Gail Simone or somebody and they they're genuinely interested in meeting you and talking to you and it's kind of like I guess coming off of Nerdtacular it's kind of the it's kind of the same thing where we as critical hit people and major spoilers people were there we got to be on that receiving end of what creators are like at comic cons with people coming up just saying I like your work I, I really enjoy listening to your stuff and then we as creators get to have that chance to talk to our fans and find out what they like or what they dislike or, or you know, just something about them. Uh, I think sometimes making that connection uh, with people is is really kind of is kind of nice. And I know some people just go to get the merchandise, and I know some people just go there so they can be on the Twilight panel or or sit in there and and hope to see Andrew Garfield swing in from a rope or something, and just have that that oh my gosh, I was there when when this happened, but. I think it's that connection. And, and Matthew, I know that, uh, and I hope you're just being joking when you say that you don't like other people like you, but, you know, sometimes that's kind of the nice thing is you get to actually hang out with other people who are like you, who like the same things as you, who have is, who uh, can have interesting conversations I, with I, you. I, I will say that one nice thing about being at Nertacular is that I never, not once, had to explain a joke. Right, except to Rob, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but that's a matter of age yeah, but, but, and, but and inability to retain yeah. information. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, I, I, I will. I, I will definitely say that it is nice to be be among nerds in, in that. Sense. Well, and it's and it's not like oh, we are with our own kind now. Right. I'm home. You know, it's not one it's of not, us. It's one not. It's us. not like that. But it's that sense of community, that sense of spirit, that sense of. Hey, look at this great thing that we're all involved in together. And I think that for many of us, and and I and I, and I know for many of us that m most of our lives or much of our lives are spent going, "I'm the outcast. I'm that one person who nobody understands," or "I'm the only person in my peer group that likes comic books or games or movies or whatever it may be." And here's a whole group of people that are into the exact same thing that you are, and. Whether you know it or not, I mean, you're going to bump into somebody that you can have an interesting conversation with, mm -hmm. whether it be another attendee or whether it be um, uh, whether it be a creator or whether it be a celebrity or whoever it may be. And, and creators can be celebrities and fans can be celebrities. Um, it is just something there's something wonderful and magical about that connection. That being said. I'm not going back to San Diego for a long time. Yeah. Uh, that one experience was you might was run enough. into Will Wheaton. Uh, um, I might. Uh, I might run into um, 
uh, you know, I might run into any number of, of famous people. I know I, I don't know if he's going this year. I think the Geek and Sundry people are mm-hmm. probably going to make an appearance. I know the Nerdist people are going to make an appearance. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be some Star Trek people there. So, yeah, I mean, there's something there for everybody. And, um, you know, and I know people say I have no interest in ever going to a con. Or I know a lot of people in our comments section are saying, hey, no to San Diego. Um, and that's fine, too. Um, but I hope that's, that, that at some point... Everybody gets to go to at least one convention. And with Wizard World and Emerald City and Chicago and New York and Atlanta and Dragon Con and oh, Mid-Ohio Con and all those cons that are going on all across the U.S., I hope everybody gets a, a chance, even if it's a small con like Planet Comic Con in Kansas City, mm-hmm. even if it's just a, a small convention, I hope you get to go sometime because it is a very, very unique experience. So, all right. That being said... <laughs> I think we kind of know where our poll is sitting this week, Matthew. Yeah. Uh, 145 votes is what I'm looking at right now. Three people said yes. 2% uh, saying, yes, I'm going to Comic-Con. And I'm also doing the closing uh, vanity card for Mary Tyler Moore Productions. Whereas 98% didn't get that reference and are a fluffy kitten with Down syndrome saying, no, I will not be going (laughs) <laughs> Matthew, did you just call our listeners fluffy kittens with Down syndrome? Man, no, you I said are that mean. the picture is a fluffy kitten with Down syndrome. <laughs> Look at the picture. His head is twice the size of his body. Okay, no, no, no. We're not gonna. Hey. We're not gonna go into exactly how this correlates. Please, Adriana says couldn't bring myself to spend so much money. It is very expensive at, at San Diego. Uh, Zaxel Brack says no, but I don't really care to attend either. Alicia says I wish I could vote yes. It's one of my dreams to go to. Um, but with the extremely limited funds and growing medical bills, I don't see it happening anytime soon. Um, George W. says, nope, and I'm not upset by that. I am annoyed that I might not be able to make it to Gen Con this year, however. Um, well, George, if you get a go, maybe Rob and Brian will be there. I hope so. Hopefully. Um, Slappy says, alas, I have neither the money nor the legal grounds to step foot in that city for another 14 years. <laughs> um <laughs> And then Brady says, I would go if I wasn't a poor student stuck on the East Coast. So, right. so there you go. We'll ask this question again next year, and I'm sure we're going to have similar responses. And similar kittens. Probably. I think we used cats last year, too. Uh, there's something about ha- happy kitties and sad kitties that just yeah, make the poll that much l- more special. Steven, how did you manage <laughs> to find pictures of cats on the Internet? <laughs> I don't know. It's no. like I thought the Internet was the place. You're like uh, a wizard. Yeah. Yes. All right, everyone. Uh, why don't we take this quick break? When we come back, we're going to get uh, to talking about Black Sad. Stick around. Greetings and salutations, major spoilers. Cat Halo from the forums here, back again with a few thoughts on Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. This movie should be a lot of fun. It's directed by the guy who did Wanted, and it's produced by Tim Burton. And just look at the title. Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Should be fun. Instead, it's quite a somber affair. Um, It's very grey-looking. The special effects are a bit obvious, for want of a better word. And there are some good action scenes, particularly the stampede. But as a whole, it falls kind of flat. Particularly the middle act, where it just goes limp and a bit lame. It does pick up towards the end, but all in all, it doesn't pick up enough, you know? Ben Walker is very good as a Lincoln, and the surrounding cast do a very good job. But at the end of the day, I guess it's the writing is to blame. The, the guy who wrote the book has adapted it and just didn't seem to get the joy of the book into the movie, which is a bit of a shame, really. 
And I'll leave it at that because I've got a Red Hot Chili Peppers gig to go to in one hour. Um, as always, you can find me on the Major Spoilers Forum, the ever-brilliant Major Spoilers Forum. Um, I'm on the Facebook, at Cat Halo Movies, on the Twitter as well. And um, at that, I will go. Thanks very much, guys. Have a great week. Hi, Major Spoilers. This is B.A. Williamson. You'll see me as Brenton8090 on the site. I was just calling in with a bit of a comic book review, and I like to give things names, so we'll call this Through the Cracks, books that uh, I don't think people are talking about enough. So this week, I'd like to talk a little bit about Wonder Woman. I just caught up on the last several issues of the series, and I am really, really enjoying it. Uh, the first couple issues didn't really sell me very much. But as the series has unfolded, it's really transforming the way I see Wonder Woman from a superhero book into a solid Greek mythology tale. Very similar to what J. Michael Straczynski did for Thor, where he stopped writing as a superhero and started writing more as a mythic hero. The artwork is excellent, but the book really kind because of the writing of Brian Azzarello, as might know from 100 Bullets. His plotting is complex. His characters are good. The dialogue can be a bit disjointed occasionally, but it is still well worth the read. The interpretations of the Greek pantheon are just fantastic. It's keeping the classic feel of the old gods, but also with some modern touches. For example, Eros or Cupid doesn't have a bow and arrow. He has two golden guns. Um, the characterization of Hades, the artwork would be enough to give Matthew the willies with his melted candle head. So it is just a fantastic book to pick up. Characterization of Wonder Woman is very strong. She's still her strong Amazon self. They write her more as a classical heroine than a superhero. It's very interesting, and it's really informing more of what I'm seeing from her in Justice League. So it is just a great book. I'm loving the shift in tone away from superhero and towards more of the classic Greek myth. And it's just fantastic. So if you're not reading Wonder Woman, you should be. This is D.A. Williamson, Britain 8090 on the site. And you can follow me at www.gwendolyngray.blogspot.com where I write a serialized young adult fantasy novel. And you can read new chapters every week. gwendolyngray.blogspot.com. Thank you very much. Love the show. Bye. Hi, this is Scott Pike. Um, I was listening to uh, your show a few shows ago, like three or four. And I just wait till your shows collect about 10 to 15, and then I just listen to them all one after the other. So that's why I'm responding to this now. Um, the lady who wanted female heroes who were like action and scientific, well, once I heard that, I thought of two that came to mind. One is the webcomic called Girl Genius, which has been printed been printed right now, and then there's the second one, which I can think of, which is Gina Diggers from Gold Diggers, which has almost as much media commentary as you guys do. Both are good, both are smart, and both are very, very interesting characters. Those you might want to look at them and see if they're appropriate for what she wants to read. All right, bye. Thank you for uh, the calls and comments, the reviews, all of that good stuff that people do each and every week. Uh, listeners, if you would like to be part of the Major Spoilers podcast, all you need to do is give us a call at the Major Spoilers hotline. Matthew, that number is... 785-727-1939. Mark down from 1974. The Major Spoilers hotline. And listeners, if you can't do a... Um, if you can't do one of those donations, and really donations uh, are what help keep this website going 
which puts a little money in the pockets of uh, everybody involved, not me, but everybody involved in the Major Spoilers podcast. If you want to help but you don't want to make a donation, we know a lot of you use uh, use Amazon. So if you go over to Majorspoilers.com, you click on the Amazon.com link there. It'll take you to the uh, regular Amazon site. You can order things like your Munchkin Deluxe set, uh, which uh, goes out, I guess, in a couple of days. Um, you'll still get your product. We get a little bit of money off of that uh, off that referral, and it helps keep the lights on a little bit longer. So thank you for that. <laughs> Majorspoilers.com, and then click on the Amazon.com link, and then buy, buy, buy away. Go out. I, and you know what? I think some of you, as... Uh, E3 is over, and as we approach the uh, gaming convention, uh, more gaming convention time, for those of you into video games, man, uh, now's the time to buy that big 60-inch plasma screen from Amazon.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's rushed right time. out in a buying frenzy. And they are less expensive this time of year. It's a natural fact. Yep, because uh, holidays, prices get jacked up. Yeah, I found an item this weekend for like 30% of price and bought it. It was awesome. Did you buy it through the Amazon.com link? Of course I did. Excellent. Good boy, Matthew. Let's talk about our book of the week. This is from Dark Horse Comics. Um, before we read the first three books in the Black Sad Saga, um, and we had a really, I think, fascinating discussion, I think pretty much we were all very positive about the yeah. experience. Uh, yeah. So we thought that when Black Sad came out with his next book, uh, or when the next Black Sad book came out, we would jump on it and review it as well. And either it's out now or it's coming out in a few weeks. I don't remember. Uh, Dark Horse sends us these things pretty far in advance. Probably in the show notes. Probably. Black yeah. Sad, Silent Hell. Uh, John Black Sad is back. And this time he's in 1950s New Orleans. And Nolens. he, he pronounce is it on, the, uh, on the trail of a, celebra- a celebrated pianist. But there's a little bit of mystery <clears throat> behind what's going on. You said celebrated. <laughs> um, Rodrigo, why don't you give us a breakdown of, of this story? All right. So uh, Black Sad is a uh, private detective. Right. So it's a detective story. Yes, I love he, detective stories. He is hired by a an old man who is rich, and he's a record producer, and right. he hasn't been able to find... One of his stars. Yeah, his biggest star, right? His biggest star, yep. I believe. And um, you know, this is this is New Orleans in the fifties. In the fifties, mm-hmm. yep. um, there's a there's a lot of racial tension. There's a lot of there are a lot of issues. There's crime and drugs and everything going around. Voodoo. Oh no, that voodoo, voodoo that you do so well. Yes. Well, a monkey does it pretty well. <laughs> and uh, so the. Uh, Black Sad starts tracking things down, and of course, as in any good detective story, things are not as they appear to be. And yeah. as he starts unraveling this mystery, he realizes that the threads point right back to his employer mm-hmm. and some of the things that he was involved with back when he was a young goat. Right. Yeah. And and for people that aren't familiar, haven't listened kid, to our previous, <laughs> excellent. Oh, good one. Well done. Um, going back, if, if this is your first time listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, and you haven't listened to our previous discussion of Black Sad, uh, Black Sad takes place in a universe where everyone is an animal. Mm-hmm. And as we've discussed before, the color of the animal does not necessarily reflect on the race of that of that care of that uh, animal. Except when it does. Except when Except it does. Except when it does. Exactly. And so you know, you see Black Sad and. You're kind of led to believe that he's a, a black character. Uh, we've seen in previous ones that 
you know, the all white animals tend to be white characters, mm-hmm. uh, but that's not always the case. And it, and sometimes it gets a little odd uh, at times. And I don't know if it's, you know, race relations seems to be kind of a underlying message in a lot of these books. And so it's really kind of hard to tell. And I guess depending on which way it goes at times, it could also be um, some derogatory depictions of yeah. race as animals. Um, and that's something that does happen here. I mean, this is basically a serial comic take on that Chandler. Right. Oh, it's very much Chandler. Late, late Chandler. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that there is a clear metaphor here in that the young musician and his wife are are basically dogs with brown skin or right. brown fur. Right. And the, the old goat and his son are, you know, lily white. They're goats. Right. You know, they're they're they are literally white animals and i think that that is clearly meant to represent something but then again you know it it's one of the it's one of the bits that i think is really easy to overthink right because as we discussed you know the opening sequence is really entertaining kind of a a, you know it reminds me of nothing so much as heavy metal because it starts with black said in a burlesque show and the the character you know stripping on the stage is uh, a jaguar or a leopard so she's you know she's a white animal with these orange and brown spots and i'm just like i i wanted to try and figure out whether it represented everything <laughs> but she was taking off her clothes and i'm just like she's a leopard but she's a really well-drawn leopard well God, i hope it don't turn into a furry <laughs> um well and you know that's another thing that's a little weird too because as we are not really sure you know what the the race is supposed to represent mm-hmm. you know most animals have tails and sometimes the animals in the books have tails right. and sometimes that's, they do not and there's no clear distinction as to you know black sad doesn't have a tail but the monkeys have tails the fox has tails the skunk girl has tail mm-hmm. when you create a, a world that has anthropomorphic animals in it you start getting into a lot of issues and some like the the smaller the work this is this is to a large degree, this is universe expansion dissonance. Right, right. Of, you know, the, yep. the word continues, and it's like, well, I want to put in a reference here about being free as a bird, but birds are also people mm-hmm. in this world. Are there also bird birds? Right, right. You know, that kind of thing. I think in the last uh, volume of Black Sad that we read, there was a guy who was like, it's ironic, isn't it? A bird who can't fly is like, no. It's not ironic. None of the birds, <laughs> no birds can fly in this world. Exactly. There, you know, the uh, the old white goat uh, record producer is ill. He's got uh, some Faust. kind of a cancer, mm-hmm. and he's uh, using La Chapelle. Everything from uh, voodoo to different medicines to try to cure himself. He uh, is interested in finding this um, this pianist, uh, the jazz musician, because. It's not really clear why he wants to find him. He just mm-hmm. wants him found uh, because he's his biggest star and he just wants to find out what's going on. The son, uh, who looks like a big strong goat, is unable to have children. And so there's a question over lineage. Um, there are some other characters uh, that appear in the story. There's a giant hippopotamus who's a local private investigator. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an old... Um, there's an old... What is it? A goat or something? A, a donkey guy? Yeah, donkey. Uh, with one leg, who mm-hmm. plays music really well, but I mean, he's basically a, a, a hobo. And Big then there, and there are a number of characters that that seem to float in and out of the story. But one by one, some of these characters start getting killed, and the older 
or the uh, the the record producer's son is trying to tell Black said, "Get off the case, move on, right. ignore it. To Nothing kind of to see him here. Buy him off." The uh, the hippo detective is is not really keen on this uh, going on. And as these characters start to die off, we start to discover something more sinister uh, was going on back before the war um, with four of these characters. Uh, and this is kind of where we get into the kind of the meat of the, the, the reveal of the, of the story. Yeah. Right. So we, we discover that uh, they all have a connection to uh, what is the old goat's name? Faust. Uh, Faust. Faust La Chapelle. Right. They all have a connection to him uh, because he was set up in a town and was, for all intents and purposes, a, a snake oil sales- salesman. Mm-hmm. And his medicine that he was selling to people caused problems, illnesses, and, and more importantly, birth defects. Mm-hmm. So all of, the, all of the guys that are getting offed are people who are from that town and have these uh the, these deformities or or some kind of uh weakness or, or or defect and they are also the ones who know that it was because of him that this happened right uh, one of the one of the people the, the, actually i believe the very first character to get killed uh actually knew what was happening when he came back from the war but um he wrote it into a song right. in the dialect of that town, which mm-hmm. not everybody can understand. Mm-hmm. So, but but the goat can. So when he figures out that they're basically going to expose him through this song, he starts offing them. Right. Right. And and sadly, the uh, the pianist and um, what the heck is his name? Um, Sebastian. Se- yeah. Sebastian. George Sebastian. Lonnie and. Sebastian Fletcher. Don't remember the fourth one. Um, he's a heroin addict, so everyone just assumes that he is. He's, uh, you know, killing himself. Um, his wife, he's left his wife and newborn baby um, just to feed his addiction. And he's going to perform one last time. And basically in his song, we are told the entire tale mm-hmm. of what's happened and how this old record producer again, and it seems to be the case in detective tales that it seems like the person who is hiring you is really the bad guy right, all right. along. And that's a trope that happens so many times in detective tales. Mm-hmm. Uh, we yeah. see that happen in a lot of Rockford cases. Right. We see that happen a lot in, um, uh, fat guy and, um, Fat Man and what was that other sh- what Jake was that? and the Jake Fat Jake and the Man. Fat Man. Well, we I mean, see it a lot with referencing Jake and the Fat Man as a classic detective tale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we see it in uh, Raymond <laughs> Chandler. Uh, or, uh, Raymond I mean, Chandler. We the, see it in yeah. the uh, what's the, Malti- the courtroom? The Maltese Falcon. Maltese Falcon is the same Maltese way. Falcon. The big. Um, sleep. You go all the way back. Yeah. So I mean, the minute we minute this was introduced, I was kind of like, well, this guy obviously has you know something, something to do him. with this. And, and really, that's a lot of the time is like, well. This guy clearly is is going to be the enemy here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, and that's that's the thing is in a well-written detective story, you go along anyway to yeah, see yeah. what exactly it is. And to see how on. the f- clues fit together. And I mm-hmm. I, I did it, like how these clues fit together to tell a, a bigger mm-hmm. story. Yeah. And I like the motivation of the main character mm-hmm. because his his motivation 
is almost understandable. I mean, he 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 wants a legacy. He wants to know. He wants his son to be able to carry on the family name and have the La Chapelle family continue to own Nolans into the next. Uh, you know, that is well. It's 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 evil, and the things that he does are definitely things that I would categorize as horrific. But you can understand the logic. It's a it's a perfectly human sentiment and a perfectly human intent. You know, coming from a literal old goat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the magic of the black sad for me is because I'm sitting and look at this and I'm going, OK, he's a goat and he's white. Is that supposed to mean something? I end up kind of analyzing what what's actually going on in the story. It's not just a detective tale. I'm forced to look at this and kind of take it aside and go, OK, yeah, it's a cat. Here's a but he. He just had that big fight, and I'm like, mm, that, that that looked painful. He took a bat in the teeth. The, the, the funny thing about Black Sad is that, yes, it it's well-written, and uh, obviously the the art is amazing. It's worth it just for the art. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, we'll but, talk about that in a minute. So, yeah. so you start going, and you get into it, and it's like, after a while, it's like, yes, they're animals, yes, 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 but it doesn't matter anymore. And then the book basically punches you in the gut by having this whole conversation about being animals. Yeah, yeah. You know, like Black Sad gets almost killed by the by the uh, hippo, by the hippo to, to and he's it, rescued right? by another cat. And yeah. the cat goes, "Well, we're both cats." Yeah, yeah. Okay, bye. Yeah, well, you must have had used up one of our nine lives yeah. somewhere along and, the way. And I'm sure he's gonna like be a recurring character in future Black Sad stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it, it seemed like a Deus Ex Machina, but I'm pretty sure that they're setting that he's setting something up. Yeah. But yeah. it was weird to just be like and and here I am again. It's like everything about Black's head just lends itself so much to overthinking it because mm-hmm. this is a big burly cat wearing a wife beater and he has like a tattoo yeah, on his yeah. chest and I'm like yeah. when he says we're both cats is he saying we're both gay? Is Black Sad gay? Maybe was that a thing here? <laughs> no, no, I'm over to think. Wait, no, is Black Sad gay? Am I? No, no, no. Yeah, and it, I mean, the moments that really resonate, you forget mm-hmm. that you're looking at dogs and goats. There's there's a moment where Sebastian Sebastian's uh, wife has just given birth, and the the goat son is standing there with this smile on his face, and she's nursing her newborn child and singing, and you're just like. God, that is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Just right. that the the construction of the scene, the placement of everything, even the fact that well, I, I was a little taken aside by the fact that she doesn't have six nipples, but then I went, no, no, that's not important here. Right. It's I mean, it's something where you get into this story and literally it took me a while to kind of reacclimate myself to, you know, this one's a cow and this one's a ducky. But you know, you get into the chapter, and once the story starts rolling, about fifteen or twenty pages in, I kind of forgot that I'm reading about a cat and his sidekick, a fox, right? Who have taken a murder case from a goat, you know? And it's just a really interesting story. Rob, you've been pretty silent about this. I want to hear what your this is your first experience to Black Sad. Yeah, uh, and unlike all the rest of the things you've thrown me into, way <laughs> at, at in the middle, yeah, in the yeah, middle. Yeah. I enjoyed this one. This, like the the first page was like, wait, what am I getting into? Because it does open in that burlesque show with the right cheetah right. lady stripping. Wasn't that awesome? She's a jaguar, I think. I, spotted cat lady stripping. <laughs> Do we have a copy of this somewhere? Yes. And because I can probably tell you if it's a jaguar. Or okay. I just don't remember. Okay. Or a leopard. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't. I was like, what am I getting into? And then it just went on from there. I was like, and I just got absorbed into it. Right. Uh, I didn't, I didn't analyze it as much as 
the rest of you, mm -hmm. uh, partially because uh, like I said, you guys analyzed it from the race angle. The race angle didn't play up in this one as much. Like I didn't even realize that there was a difference in race until the very end sure. when he goes to find Sam in the colored bathroom. I'm like, wait, these guys have different races. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're different uh, colors. Th this this issue, the story didn't play that up at all. Like there's no. They no didn't. No, and, and and it's we we talked about it because in a there's a a previous volume that is all about race relations. Right. And there are literally white furred animals that are, are white supremacists. supremacists. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. There it is. And you have that kind of that concept to it. I I mean the the real, I think the the real art, the real artistry, the point where you're looking at it is even as you go through this, taking into account, you know, the, the occasional universal expansion, Dishonage, where one character doesn't have whites on her eyes, it all flows together and it works together. And the various animals, you never look at the animals and say, oh, well, that's just ridiculous. Even when the hippopotamus nearly runs him down and gets out of the car, there's a, a moment where a hippopotamus is physically threatening a cat. But it really comes across as, you know, it comes across as that Sydney Green Street moment threatening, you know, Humphrey Bogart. It really works. The design is beautiful. The art is just amazing. And, you know, the fact that that burlesque sequence opens the, the volume, it's fascinating and it's brilliant because of the fact that it's not, I mean, it's not salacious. Yeah. But you look at that and you're like, that is, I mean, that's clearly. Sure. A female figure, and you, well, yeah, you really put yourself in that world. It's really cool. There's some titillation there, and, and you say that that's the the thing that opens the sequence. As I read this as a movie, we get to the black screen with Dark Horse presents Black Sad, and then all right. of a sudden, there's the flick of the lighter, and you see Black Sad there, mm -hmm. you know, smoking his cigarette, lighting his cigarette, and then it's bum bum Black Sad, you know, and then it then you get into your credits, and then you get into get into that moment in the, uh, in, yeah. in, in the book. Um, I want to still talk about art here in a few moments, but are there some elements in the story that you didn't like? Mm, not really. I mean, it, you know, this wasn't, I don't think this is the best black sad story that I've read. Right. But if it, no, I mean, it, there were some, I, the problem that I had is there were some moments that everything just seemed so jumpy and so out of place, like uh, really the literal opening of the book is we're seeing someone putting uh, some strychnine uh, into an envelope and then donning this um, goat skull mask with a red cape and running off. Mm -hmm. We don't see that again later on. Black, and the next thing that we see, Black Sad is in a bar and he's accosting the, um, the, the donkey bartender and saying, who was that guy I saw you with with the red mask and everything? And it's like. Yeah, you we never, didn't even yeah, see you that. Never see the scene in which Black Sad sees them until, and then you see it way towards the end of the book, and it's like almost things are. It's almost like there's pages out of order in this copy that we were sent. But I was looking, and we see the Dark Horse pages oh. that are listed as twenty-two, but then we see the French, um, the French numbering in on the other side, and I'm like, am I reading this backwards? Is there? And it doesn't seem like there's something out of order. But it is out of order. It's really weird, out of order, and I don't no, understand. You're right. It. You're right. The whole book happens out of order, and it's 
there's no real indication. Now that you mention it, I just totally I had forgotten about that because I was like putting it together in my mind as as I was going, and I was like, oh well, clearly this happens beforehand. Clearly this happens afterwards. Right. But at the beginning, it is very confusing because aside from like feverish flashbacks mm-hmm. and a few other things, like there's just ve- like the hints that you are that you have jumped in time back and forward are almost negligible. Like yeah. it's very difficult and s- to be like, oh, well, thi- like you basically have to be like, oh, this character's here right. and he's dead now. So clearly we've jumped. But yeah, mm-hmm. it, but it, 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 it was really confusing. And in a detective mm-hmm. story, when you throw in confusing elements, it makes getting to the end, the solution, that much more difficult. Yeah. See, I didn't necessarily find it difficult I felt like there may have been, and I, I kind of took this as I often do with European comics. I felt like there may have been a translation issue where, you know, maybe if you read it, you know, if you like, if you read Marquez in the original Spanish, it's supposed to be so much more wonderful. If you read this in the original, let's say French, French, pretty sure. would there have, would there have been, you know, transitional beats that were clearer to explain it for me when the time shifts happened, the coloring always seems to change. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll have a moment where it, it seems like it's a visual cue. Sometimes those visual cues are very subtle and very bizarre. Right. Like well, the, in, know, the the case, in the case of this uh, red robe figure, there's no color change. It is literally, we see him at the very beginning. The next thing, Black Sad's beating up the donkey, ma- the bartender, and saying, "Where's the guy that I saw you with with the with the red cloak?" And then ten pages later, we see Black Sad spying on the bartender and seeing him uh, exchange the information with the character in the red cloak, and then running off and getting lost in the um, getting lost in the carnival crowd. Well, and so the thing I- is, there is a color change, but there aren't consistent. This is the past color right, changes. Right. Right. It's just this. This is a different scene, right? I didn't get the time jump stuff there. Like, I I don't know if I just kind of glossed over the fact that he was asking the donkey about a guy in a red mask, because I mean the camel and the donkey. One of the two said that they had given right. Sebastian poisoned drugs, right? And all I caught out of that sequence was Black Sad asking the donkey. Who was it that gave you those drugs? Mm. Right. Not anything about, you know, I saw you with this person. And that that might just me not... That might be just me glossing over it because it didn't make sense in context at all. Right. And then him catching them later. I mean, it, it, that's the only part that was the really part that drew me out and drew me weird into yeah, the story. That, that but everything one, else seemed everything, to flow correctly. Yeah, everything else, you can be like, oh, that must have happened earlier, but... Because it, that it is, it's such a reference to a specific scene. Yeah, I was thrown off. Like, I kept flipping back and being like, did I miss a scene where this happens? And you see it later on. But also, it is just that. It is just Black Side is like, look at that. It's a guy with a red. You know, that's right, that's right, all it right, is. Right. So they could have just thrown that in yeah. right before that, and it would have been fine. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, art-wise, Rob, what would you think of the art? It's fantastic. Wow. Uh, everything looked great. Anything you didn't like about it? Mm, nothing off the top of my head. Nothing stands out as being bad. 
at all, really. Okay. Uh, Matthew, what about you? I have to agree with Rob. The art is, I mean, spectacular. There are some really amazingly hard-to-draw moments in this book that they make just look effortless. There's a moment where they're in the uh, the record shop, and the record shop is just filled with these records. And as you look across, you see you know, album covers. You see pictures. He's gone to the trouble of drawing in dozens and dozens of these albums and putting all of the information you need to look and go, oh, well, this, I mean, this is clearly a record shop. Even if you were reading this in French, you would know where you were and what was going on. Mm -hmm. And the street scenes, especially the street scenes during Mardi Gras or the street sequences, uh, when he chases him down and he ends up in the middle of of, uh, the Mardi Gras, that is freaking amazing. That if you look at that huge panorama, there are individual characters who never show up again. They've never shown up before. But you look and you know who each one of these characters are. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a surprised looking woman on the sidewalk and you look at that and just from that picture, everything you need to know is right there. The sequences, you know, in the dark bar with the band tuning up. Yeah. Just gorgeous, gorgeous throughout it. And it's never off putting. You know, you think about it and it's always there, but it's never off putting that you're looking at anthropomorphized animals. It's never confusing or frightening or you know, it never it never devolves into goofy. It never devolves into cartoonish or maudlin. It's characters who happen to be dogs and goats and donkeys. Yeah, I, I, there in, in this uh, volume, uh, Dark Horse has a translation of the uh, um, artist um, doing a breakdown and talking about the art that he created in, in this book. And it's a fascinating read. It goes on for, I think about 20 pages, 20, uh, 25 pages. And it's, into it's this piece. And it's really it's as great awesome breakdown. as reading the book. And it talks about the challenges. It talks about, you know, some of the uh, other things that went into having to create these looks in these settings. It's a fascinating read. If you have time to, uh, to read through that whole thing, I just really got a kick out of, uh, out of reading that, that art bit. Uh, Rodrigo, anything, Anything for you? Um, I will. I will uh, definitely agree that that the art is spectacular. Um, and and really, aside from the the the, the issues of that, clearly, you know, decisions had to be made as to whether Blackside would have a tail or not, and you know whether you know who gets a tail and who doesn't, and you mm-hmm. know all those other little animal minutia that we that I think we specifically right right get stuck on um no it's it's fantastic you know here's a here's an artist or some artists uh, i i believe it is just one uh guy who draws it and colors it right. but uh who can who can do it all i mean there's the backgrounds are fantastic the the incidental characters all every you know everybody has a thing going on where it's not like i mean Matthew, you know, pointed out cartoons in, you know, in goofy cartoons, all of the other dog people that you see around right. are more or less the same person. Mm-hmm. But not here. I mean, here, every pig and frog and chicken man that you see is is a different person. And it just, mm-hmm. it really adds to it. This is a book that if you go through it real quick, you can say, well, this is a good detective story or this is a decent detective story. But if you go back and look through it, like the art will continue to reward you m- long after yeah. you've, you know, dis- made up your mind about the story. Yeah. It's one thing yeah. to say, I'm going to draw a character who has the head of a chicken. Mm-hmm. It's another to draw 
a character who has the head of a chicken who is clearly an elderly female or a, a character with a dog face who is very clearly a man in his late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. You know, you'll have families of animals where it's clear, you know, they have different dog faces. But each one of them, you can tell, you can tell the gender, you can tell the age, all of the necessary information about the character is there, even though they have the face of a dog. You can look at Hannah and you can see Hannah is a young mother. I mean, granted, she's ridiculously pregnant when we first see her. But you can look at Hannah and they show, first we show of her is her standing when they close up to her face. That is clearly a young female face. Mm -hmm. Now, she's a Yorkie. But she's a young female Yorkie, and that is just an amazing, an amazing piece of work to be able to to just just show that immediately the first the first glance. I, I want to correct something. I kept saying I think I said French. This is a Spanish Spanish yeah, comic. Yeah, originally Spanish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rodrigo um, said French too, and he should know Spanish. Um, wasn't this a thing where it's done by Spaniards? Yeah, yeah, yeah. for the French, and like, it, maybe it is, but I just I. <laughs> And printed in Argentina first, <laughs> probably. And the Canadians both of both of the, the both of the uh, both of the creators are from Spain. Yeah. So, nice. however it works out, that's how it works out. So I'll I'll just point that out uh, with this Spanish creators, yeah. whether it's printed in French or Belgian. That is a comic album series created by Spanish authors Juan Diaz Canales and Juanjo Garnido, and published by French publisher Dargo. Go. There you go. There you All go. right. So we got that cleared up. Just want to make sure because I know some people will say, "Well, really, this is what we meant." Yeah. So they are they they are in Spain, right? And this book is printed by a French publisher right. in French. I think so. I think that okay. what what it is is they create the comic and they actually might do it in Spanish, mm-hmm. but the biggest audience for Black Sad is in France, right? So they like they get all their money from their French sales. I yeah, think yeah, is yeah. what it is. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I wonder if there's like you know a French version and a Spanish version and a probably, Flemish I'm, version. I'm, there are probably yeah. I would imagine there, is. there are also two really short stories in in this piece right, too at the right, very yeah. end, which are which are nice little bits. Um, Free comic book day stories. Yeah, basically they're they're really short, uh, four two page pa- stories. I think two pages, two pages so. each. So um, really good reads there. Nice uh, mm-hmm. character character moments um, on Black Sad's part. So certainly worth reading. Bottom line, Rob. Final thoughts and, and, and bottom line. Buy it, skip it. Buy it, totally buy it. Okay. Uh, what are your final thoughts on this? Uh, it, was, it was a great detective story, an amazing looking book. I'm probably going to go home and reread it just because there's a number of things that I apparently missed when I read through it this mm-hmm. afternoon. Uh, yeah, my train of thought just... Okay. <laughs> Rodrigo, final thoughts from you. Um... Detective story stuff going on, bang bang, great action. Shoot, doesn't matter. It's worth buying for the art. Okay, Matt. It, you know, regardless. Matthew, I think it's it's you know it's worth the price of admission for the burlesque jaguar, quite frankly. But the issue is, it's beautiful. You really need to read this, even if you're not a fan of detective stories. You don't have to be, you know, Stephen Detective to understand this. This is well done, and it's self-explanatory and it's really a self-starter. Even if you've never read Black Sad, yeah. I think you can pick this up and go, oh, okay. I think most oh, of the yeah. Black Sad stories are, are pretty much standalone. Mm-hmm. You can get into it now. Obviously, the first one tells how he and Weekly uh, uh, met up. Um, but for the most part, you can jump into this without a problem. 
Um, yeah, it is a detective story and it does follow the detective tropes and we've kind of spoiled it for you. Um, but it's not, it's not, uh, the final destination that's important. It's the adventure and how the characters get from point A to point B and the character development that happens with all of the main characters that you meet, even the hippo guy, even though he's kind of a minor Mm -hmm. thug kind of character, um, you know, he has some character development that, that moves through, uh, the story as you read it. The art is fantastic. Um, you know, just even if they weren't animals, if these were real people, if they had drawn these as people, holy crap, this would be phenomenal as, as, as a book. But as is, it is outstanding. It is great. Um, I think this is a book that, you know, because we mentioned some of those weird jumpy points in the story, I think this, this book and really all the Black Sad books are books that you have to read very, very carefully. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of words. This is kind of a wordy book, Mm -hmm. uh, regardless. Um, but you do have to read everything carefully and you have to analyze each panel very carefully. And it's probably why these books are not published, you know, once a year or everything like that. This book was originally published in 2010. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a book that you're meant to take your time and digest and, and read Mm -hmm. maybe multiple times. And I really think that this is a book that you should pick up. Uh, And and it would be, it's, it's sad that. The last time we saw a Black Sad book from Dark Horse, it was the all the stories like a, so far bound into kind of into one thing, and now we have this one that's a standalone. And so you've got a fat book and a thin book that'll mm-hmm. be on the shelf next to one another, but still, I think worth picking up. Yep. Oh, um, she's a leopard. Yes, it says she's so a leopard. The, it says in the art piece mm-hmm. where he's talking about the leopardess nice. and, and getting the spots and just the, right for her. The the gorgeous sequence with the the really really confused sheep being surrounded by the wolves who are young toughs. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. love that. All right, everyone, that wraps it up for this issue of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in or downloading and listening, and thank you everybody for sharing the word about Major Spoilers to all your friends. It's really nice. It helps us grow. It helps us grow a community. It helps us do more and uh, and continue to generate great shows. Um, next week, we're going to be looking at something that might be a little bit different. Uh, I don't know if it falls into the same category as Axe Cop. But we'll be looking at Mike Norton's Battle Pug Volume 1. Why? <laughs> because we know that you love comics, and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com, and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers Forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well, I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew To kick my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler.
it's like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read up on all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! Yeah, yeah, yeah! What a major spoiler! Whoa, 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 whoa! What a major spoiler! Major spoilers is copyright 2012.